Welcome to Volume 5 of Jeeves in the Morning. Part 2, Chapter 12. She dismounted with lissom grace, beaming welcomingly. Since I had last seen her, she had washed off the stains of travel and changed her frock and was looking spruce and dapper. Why she should have bothered to spot herself up when she was only going to meet a bird in patched grey flannel trousers and a turtleneck sweater, I was at a loss to understand. But girls will, of course, be girls. Hello, Bertie, she said. Are you paying a neighbourly call on Boko? I replied that that was about what it amounted to, but added that first I required a few moments of her valuable time. Listen, Nobby, I said. She didn't, of course. I've never met a girl yet who did. Say listen to any member of the delicately nurtured sex, and she takes it as a cue to start talking herself. However, as the subject she introduced proved to be the very one I was planning to ventilate, the desire to beat her brains out with a brick was not so pronounced as it would have been otherwise. What have you been doing to inflame Stilton, Bertie? I met him just now and asked if he had seen you. He turned vermilion and gnashed every tooth in his head. I don't think I've ever seen a more incandescent copper. He didn't explain. No, he simply pedalled on furiously, as if he had been competing in a six-day bicycle race and had just realized he was dropping behind the leaders. What was the trouble? I tapped her on the arm with a grave forefinger. Nobby, I said, there has been a bit of a mix-up. What's that word that begins with con? Con? I've heard Jeeves use it. There's a cat in it somewhere. What on earth are you driveling about, Bertie? Concatenation, I said, getting it. Owing to an unfortunate concatenation of circumstances, Stilton is viewing me with concern. He has got the idea rooted in his bean that I've come down here to try to steal Florence from him. Have you, Bertie? My dear young blister, I said with some impatience. Would anyone want to steal Florence? Do use your intelligence. As I say, this unfortunate concatenation has led him to suspect the worst. And in a few simple words, I gave her the run of the scenario, featuring the young Lokenvar aspect of the matter. When I had finished, she made one of those foolish remarks which do so much to confirm a man in his conviction that women as a sex should be suppressed. You should have told him you were guiltless of the charge, Bertie. I tut-tutted impatiently. I did tell him I was guiltless of the charge and a fat lot he believed me. He continued to hot up, finally reaching the condition of so much Fahrenheit that I was surprised he didn't run me in on the spot. In which connection you might have told me he was a cop, by the way. I forgot to. It would have spared me a very disconcerting shock when I heard someone calling my name and looked round and saw him cycling toward me in the complete rig-out of a rural policeman. I nearly got the vapours. She laughed. A solo effort? Nothing in the prevailing circumstances made me feel like turning it into a duet. Poor old Stilton. Yes, that's all very well, but... I think it's rather sporting of him, wanting to earn his living, instead of sitting on the knee of that uncle of his and helping himself out of his pockets. I dare say, but... Florence doesn't, and it's rather funny because it was she who turned his thoughts in that direction. She talked of socialism to him and made him read Karl Marx. He's very impressionable. I agreed with her there. 
I'd forgotten the time at Oxford when somebody temporarily converted him to Buddhism. It led to a lot of unpleasantness with the authorities. I recall he immediately started to cut chapels and go and meditate beneath the nearest thing the neighborhood could provide as a bow tree. She's furious now and says he was a fool to take her literally. She paused in order to laugh again and I seized the opportunity to get a word in edgewise. Exactly. As you state, she's furious, and that's just the aspect of the matter that I want to discuss. I could put up with a green-eyed Stilton, a Stilton who turns vermilion and gnashes the molars at the mention of my name. I don't say it could ever be pleasant, going about knowing that the force was gnashing its teeth at you, but one learns to take the rough with the smooth. The real trouble is, I believe Florence is weakening on him. What makes you think that? She's just been talking to me about him. She used the expression pig-headed and said she was sick and tired of the whole thing and really didn't know what she was going to do about it. Her whole attitude seemed to me that of a girl on a very verge of giving her heartthrob the raspberry and returning the ring and presents. You spot the fearful menace? You mean that if she breaks it off with Stilton, she may consider taking you on again? That's what I mean. The peril is appalling. Owing to another unfortunate concatenation of circumstances, my stock has recently gone up with her to a fearful extent, and anything may happen at the moment. I briefly outlined the Spindrift Spinoza affair. When I had concluded, a meditative look came into her face. Do you know, Bertie, she said, I've often thought that of all the multitude Florence has been engaged to, you were the one she really wanted. Oh, my gosh! It's your fault for being so fascinating. I dare say, but it's too late to do anything about that now. Still, I don't see what you've got to worry about. If she proposes to you, just blush a little, smile tremulously and say, I'm so sorry. You've paid me the greatest compliment a woman can pay a man, but it cannot be. So, shall we be pals? Just real pals? That will fix her. It won't do anything of the sort. You know what Florence is like. Propose, forsooth? She'll just notify me the engagement is on again, like a governess telling a young charge to eat his spinach. And if you think I've got the force of character to come back with an old prosequi... With a what? One of Jeeves' gags. It roughly means nuts to you. If, I say, you think I'm capable of asserting myself in giving her the bird... You greatly overestimate the Worcester fortitude. She must be reconciled to Stilton. It's the only way. Listen, Nobby. I wrote you a letter yesterday, giving my views on Florence and urging you to employ every means in your power to open Stilton's eyes to what he was in for. Have you read it? Every syllable. It gripped me tremendously. I never knew you had such vivid prose style, Bertie. It reminded me of Ernest Hemingway. You don't by any chance write under the name of Ernest Hemingway, do you? I shook the head. No, the only thing I've ever written was an article for Milady's Boudoir on what the well-dressed man is wearing. It appeared under my own name. But what I want to say is, pay no attention to that letter. I am now wholeheartedly in favour of the match. The wish to save Stilton has left me. The chap I have an eye on for saving is B. Worcester. When chatting with Florence, therefore... Boost Stilton in every possible way. Make her see what a prize she has got. 
and if you have any influence with him, endeavour to persuade him to chuck all the policemen nonsense and stand for Parliament as she wants him to. I'd love to see Stilton in Parliament. So would I if it means healing this rift. Wouldn't he be a scream there? Not necessarily. There are bigger fatheads than Stilton among our legislators. Dozens of them. They would probably shove him into the cabinet. So push along, young Nobby. I'll see what I can do. But Stilton isn't the easiest person to persuade. Once the trend of his mind has set in any direction. You remember the deaf adder? What deaf adder? The one that stopped its ear and would not listen to the voice of the charmers. Charming never so wisely. That's Stilton. However, as I say, I'll do what I can. And now, let's go and rout Boko out. I'm dying to hear what happened at that lunch of his. You haven't seen Uncle Percy, then? Not yet. He was out. Why? Oh, nothing. I was only thinking that if you had, you would have got an eyewitness's report from him. I said this and was conscious of a pang of pity for my old friend, and I hoped that by this time he would have succeeded in thinking up a reasonably good story to cover the binge in question. The sound of a typewriter greeted us as we crossed the threshold, indicating that Boko was still at work on that letter to Uncle Percy. It ceased abruptly as Nobby yoo-hooed, and when we passed on into the sitting room, he was hastily dropping a sheet of paper into the basket. Oh, hello, darling, he said brightly. Watching him bound from his chair and fold Nobby into close embrace, the casual observer would have supposed him to have had nothing on his mind except the hair which he had apparently not brushed for days. I was just roughing out a morceau. Oh, Angel, have we interrupted your flow? Not at all, not at all. I'm anxious to hear how the lunch went. Of course, of course, I'll tell you all about it. By the way, Bertie, G's delivered your effects. They're in the spare room. Delighted to put you up, of course. Too bad about the fire. What fire? Asked Nobby. Jeeves tells me that Edwin has succeeded in burning Wee Nook to the ground. Is that right, Bertie? Quite correct. It was his last Friday's act of kindness. What a shame, said Nobby with a womanly sympathy that well became her. Berko, however, looked on the bright side. Personally, he said, I consider that Bertie has gotten off lightly. He appears not to have even been singed. A burnt house is a mere bagatelle. Generally, when Edwin is trying to catch up with his acts of kindness, human life is imperiled. The mind flits back to that time when he mended my egg boiler. Occasionally, when I am much occupied with a job of work, sparing no effort to give my public my best, I rise early before my housekeeper turns up in the morning. On these occasions, it's my practice to boil myself a refreshing egg, using one of those patent machines for the purpose. You know the sort of thing I mean. Rings an alarm, hopes you've slept well, pours water on the coffee, lights a flame underneath, and gets action on the egg. Well, the day after Edwin had fixed some trifling flaw in the apparatus, the egg was scarcely in position when it flew at me like a bullet, catching me on the tip of the nose and knocking me base over apex. I bled for hours. So I maintain that if you got off with a mere fire that destroyed your house, you're probably sitting pretty. Nobby speculated as to the chances of somebody someday murdering Edwin. We agree that the hour must eventually produce the man. And now, said Boko, still with that strange brightness, which knowing the facts I could not but admire. 
You want to hear all about the lunch? Well, it was a great success. Oh, darling. Yes, a notable success. I think I have made an excellent start. Were you bright? Oh, very bright. And genial? The word understates it. Angel, said Nobby, and kissed him about fifteen times in rapid succession. Yes, said Boko. I think I have got him on the run. It's difficult to tell with a man like that who conceals his emotions behind a poker face, but I believe he's weakening. And we never expected him to fall on my neck right away, did we? It was agreed that the lunch was merely to prepare the soil. What did you talk about? Oh, this and that. The subject of spiders, I remember, was one that came up. Spiders? He seemed interested in spiders. I never knew that. Oh, just a side of his character which he hasn't happened to reveal to you, I suppose. And then, of course, after talking of this and that, we talked of that and this. There weren't any awkward pauses. I didn't notice any. No, he rather prattled on, as it were, especially toward the end. Did you tell him what a lot of money you were making? Oh yes, I touched on that. I hope you explained that you were a steady young fellow and were bound to go on making it. That's what worries him, you know. He thinks you may blow up at any moment. Like we nook. Well, when he was a young man, just starting in the shipping business, Uncle Percy used to go about with rather a rackety set in London, and he knew a lot of writers who made quite a bit from time to time. And spent it all a couple of days, and then they had to live on what they could borrow. My darling father was one of them. This was news to me. I never pictured Uncle Percy as a bird who had gone about with rackety sets as a young man. In fact, I had never pictured him as ever having been a young man at all. It's always that way. If an old buster has a bristling mustache, a solid lucrative business. And manners of a bear aroused while hibernating, you do not probe into his past and ask whether he too, in his day, may not have been one of the boys. I covered that point," said Boko. "It was one of the first I stressed. The modern author, I told him, is keen and hard-headed. He's out for the stuff, and when he gets it, he salts it away. Well, that ought to have pleased him. Oh, it did. Then everything's fine. Splendid. All we need now is for Bertie to do his act. Exactly. The future now hinges on Bertie. When he pleads. Oh, I didn't quite mean that. I'm afraid you're not abreast of the quick rush and swirl of recent events. I doubt if it would do any good for Bertie to plead now. His name has become Mud. Mud. Mud, I think, is the mot juice, Bertie. I was obliged to concede that this was more or less so. Uncle Percy. I explained, has got it into his head that I aided and encouraged Edwin in his firebug activities. This has put me back in the betting a good bit. Considered as a pleader, I should find it difficult now to sway him like a reed. Then where are we? Nobby asked, registering anguish. Bogo patted her encouragingly on the shoulder. We're all right. Don't worry. But if Bertie can't plead, oh, now you're forgetting how versatile Bertie is. What you're overlooking. Is the scullery window breaking side of his nature? That is what is going to see us through. Brooding tensely over this business, I have had an idea. It's a pippin. Suppose I said to myself, I were to save the heavy's home from being looted by a midnight marauder. That would make him feel I had the right stuff in me. I fancy, he'd say, "Egad, 
fine young fellow, this Fiddleworth, would he not? I suppose. You speak doubtfully. I was only thinking that there isn't much chance of that happening. There hasn't been a burglary in Steeple Bumpley for centuries. Stilton was complaining about it only the other day. He said the place gave an ambitious young copper no scope. These things can be arranged. How do you mean? It only needs a little organisation. There's going to be a burglary in Steeple Bubbly this very night. Bertie will attend to it. There was only one comment to make to this, and I made it. Hey! I cried. Don't interrupt, Bertie, said Berger reprovingly. It only prevents one's marshalling of one's thoughts. Here in a nutshell is the scheme I have evolved. Somewhere in the small hours, Bertie and I make our way to the hall. We approach the scullery window. He busts it. I raise the alarm. He pops off. Ha! I said. It was the first point he'd mentioned of which I found myself approving. While well, I stay on to accept the plotters of all and be fawned on, I don't see how it could fail. The one thing a sturdy householder of the Warplesden type dislikes is having the house he's holding broken into. And anyone who nips such a venture in the bud creeps straight into his heart. Before the night's out, I expect to have him promising to dance at our wedding. Darling, it's wonderful. It was Nobby who said that, not me. I was still chewing the lower lip in open concern. I should have remembered, I was telling myself, that that play of Bogos to which I alluded earlier had been one of those mystery thrillers, and that it was only natural that some such setup of this sort should have occurred to his diseased mind. I mean to say, you get a chap whose thoughts run persistently in the direction of screams in the night, and lights going out, and mysterious hands appearing through the walls, and people rushing about shouting, here comes the shadow, and it is inevitable. That will be the sort of stuff he will dish out in an emergency. I resolved there and then that I would put in a firm nole prosequi. Nobody is more anxious than Bertram Worcester to lend a helping hand to love's young dream, but there are limits to what he's prepared to sign on for, and sharply defined limits at that. Nobby's joyous animation died away a bit. Like me, she was chewing a lip. Yes, it's wonderful, but... I don't like to hear that word, but... I was only going to say, how do you explain? Explain? You're being there to raise alarms and be fond upon. Oh, perfectly simple. My love for you is the talk of Steeple Bumpley. What more natural than that I should have come to stand beneath your window gazing up at it. I see. And then you heard a noise? A curious noise that sounded like the splintering of glass. I popped around the house to investigate, and there was a bounder smashing the scullery window. Of course. I knew you'd see it. Then everything depends on Bertie. Everything. You don't think he'll object? I wish you wouldn't say things like that. You'll hurt his feelings. You don't realise the sort of fellow Bertie is. His nerve is like chilled steel. And when it is a question of helping a pal, he sticks at nothing. Nobby drew a deep breath. He's wonderful, isn't he? He stands alone. I've always been devoted to Bertie. When I was a child, he once gave me three pennyworth of acid drops. Generous to a fault. These splendid fellows always are. How I admired him. Me too. I don't know a man I admire more. Doesn't he remind you rather of Sir Galahad? The name. That's the name that was on the tip of my tongue. 
Of course, he wouldn't dream of not doing his bit. Of course not. All settled, eh, Bertie? It's odd what a few kind words will do. Until now, I had, as I say, been all ready with the nola prosequi, and had indeed opened my lips to shoot it across with all the emphasis at my disposal. But, as I caught Nobby's eye, fixed on me in a devout sort of way, and at the same time was conscious of Bogo shaking my hand and kneading my shoulder, something seemed to check me. I mean, there really didn't seem to be any way of nodo prosequying without spoiling the spirit of the party, right? Oh, rather, I said, absolutely. But not blithely, not with any real chirpiness. Chapter 13 No, not with any real chirpiness. And the shortage of C, I must confess, continued to make its presence felt right up to zero hour. All through the quiet evenfall, the frugal dinner, and the long weary waiting for midnight to strike on the village clock, I was conscious of a growing concern. And when the moment arrived and Boko itself passed through the silent gardens of Bumpley Hall, on our way over to start things doing, it was going stronger than ever. Boko was in a gay and effervescent mood, speaking from time to time in a low but enthusiastic voice of the beauties of nature, and drawing my attention in a cautious whisper to the agreeable niftiness of the flowers past which we flitted. But it was far different with Bertram. Bertram, and I do not attempt to conceal it, was not at his fizziest. His spine crawled and his heart was bowed down with the weight of woe. The word of a Worcester was pledged. I had placed my services at the disposal of the young couple, and there was no question of my doing a quick sneak and edging out of the enterprise. But nothing was going to make me like it. I think I've mentioned before my dislike for creeping around strange gardens in the dark. Too many painful episodes in my past have been connected with other people's dark gardens, notably the time when circumstances compelled me to slide out in the small hours and ring the fire bell at Brinkley Court, and that other occasion when Roberta Wickham induced me against my better judgment to climb a tree and drop a flower pot through the roof of a greenhouse in order to create a diversion which would enable her cousin Clementina, who was A-W-O-L from her school, to ooze back into it unobserved. Of all these circumstances, the last named had been to date the most soul-searing, because it had culminated in the sudden appearance of a policeman saying, What's all this? And it was thought that there might quite possibly be a repetition of this routine, and the realisation that if a policeman did come muscling in now, it would be Stilton. That curl of the blood and made me feel a dry, fluttering feeling in the pit of my stomach, as if I had swallowed a heaping teaspoon of butterflies. So pronounced was I with this sensation that I found myself clutching Boko's arm in ill-concealed panic and drawing him beneath a passing tree. Boko, I gurgled. What about Stilton? Have you considered the Stilton angle? Eh? Suppose he's on duty at night. Suppose he's prowling. Suppose he suddenly pops out at us, complete with whistle and notebook. Nonsense. It would be an awful thing to be pinched by a chap you were boys together with. And he would spring to the task. He's got it in for me. Nonsense. Nonsense. Said Boko, continuing debonair to the gills. You mustn't allow your thoughts to take this morbid trend, Bertie. 
these tremors are unworthy of you. Don't worry about Stilton. You have only to look at him, that clear eye, those rosy cheeks, to know that he is a man who makes a point of getting his regular eight hours. Early to bed and early to rise is his slogan. Stilton is now tucked up between the sheets, sleeping like a little child, and won't stop functioning again till his alarm cock explodes at 7.30 tomorrow morning. Well, that was all right as far as that went. His reasoning was specious and did much to reassure me. Stilton's cheeks unquestionably were rosy, but it was only for a moment that I was strengthened. After all, I reflected, Stilton was merely part of the menace. Even leaving him out of it, there was the Uncle Percy and Agatha side of the business. You couldn't get away from it that these gardens and massages whose privacy we were violating belonged to the former, and that the latter had a joint interest in them. I might, that is to say, be safe from the dragon, but what about the hippogriffs? That was the question I asked myself. What price the hippogriffs? If anything were to go wrong, if this frightful binge on which I embarked were in the slightest detail to slip a cog, what would be the upshot? I'll tell you what would jolly well be the upshot. Not only should I be placed in the position of having to explain to a slavering uncle, justly incensed at being deprived of his beauty sleep, why I was going about the place breaking his scullery windows, but the whole story would be told to Aunt Agatha on her return with a wealth of detail. And then what? Far less serious offences on my part in the past had brought the old relative leaping after me with her hatchet, like a red Indian on the warpath, howling for my blood. I mentioned this to Boko as we fetched up at Journey's End, and he patted me on the shoulder, well meant, no doubt, in a kindly gesture, but one that accomplished little or nothing in the way of stiffening my morale. If you're copped, said Boko, just pass it off. Pass it off? That's right, nonchalantly. Got the treacle? I said I had got the treacle. And the paper? Yes! Then I'll take a stroll for ten minutes. That'll give you eight minutes to screw your courage to the sticking point. One minute to break window, and one to make a getaway. This trickle ideas was Boko's. He'd insisted upon it as an indispensable adjunct to the proceedings, claiming that it would lend the professional touch at which we were aiming. According to him, and here's a chap who has studied these things, the knowledgeable burglar's first act is to equip himself with treacle and brown paper. He glues the latter to the window by means of the former and then hauls off and busts the glass with a sharp buffet of the fist. What a way to earn a living. I suppose I must have used up quite three minutes of my ten in meditating on these hardy fellows and wondering what made them go in for such an exacting life's work. Large profits, no doubt, and virtually no overhead. But think what they must have to spend on nerve specialists and rest cures. Some sort of tonic alone must form a heavy item of a burglar's expenses. I could have gone on for quite a while musing along these lines, but was obliged to dismiss the subject from my mind, for time was passing, and I might expect Boko's return at any minute, and I shrank from the prospect of having to explain to him that I had been frittering away and daydreaming the moments which should have been earmarked for action. Feeling, therefore, that if the thing was to be smacked into, twere well, twere smacked into quickly, as Shakespeare says, I trickled the paper and attached it to the window, 
All that now remained to be done was deliver the sharp buffet. And it was at this point that I suddenly came over all cat in the adagy. The chilliness of the feet became intensified and I began to hover as Stilton had done outside the jeweler's shop. I had thought while watching him on that occasion that he had accomplished what you might call the last word in backing and filling, but now I realized that he had merely scratched the surface. Compared with mine at this juncture, Stilton's hovering could scarcely be termed hovering at all. I moved towards my objective and away from my objective, and some of the time I moved sideways. To an observer, had one been present, it might have seemed that I was trying out intricate steps of some rhythmic dance. Finally, however, stiffening the sinews and summoning up all that splendid Worcester courage, I made a quick forward movement and was in the act of raising my fist when it was as if a stick of dynamite had been touched off beneath me. The hair rose in a solid mass and every nerve in the body stood straight up, curling at the ends. There have been moments in this career, many of them when Bertram Worcester has not felt at ease, but this one was at the top. From somewhere above, a voice had spoken. Coo, it said. Who's there? If it hadn't been for that coo, I might have supposed it was the voice of conscience. As it was, I was enabled to ticket it correctly that it was young, blasted Edwin. Glued against the wall, as if I had been a bit of treacled paper, I could just see him leaning out of an adjacent window. And when I reflected that after all I had gone through, I was now being set upon by Boy Scouts, I don't mind admitting that the iron entered my soul. Very bitter, the whole thing. After he had said, Who's there? He was silent for a space, as if pausing for a reply. Though you would have thought even a cloth-headed kid like that would have known that it's hopeless to expect burglars to keep the conversation going. Who's that? He said at length. I maintained a prudent reserve. He then said, I can see you all right. But in an uncertain voice which told me he was lying through his teeth. The one thing that was serving to buoy me up and still the fluttering heartstrings at this most unpleasant moment was the fact that it was a dark night without a moon or any rot of that sort. Stars, yes. Moon, no. A lynx might have seen me, but only a lynx and it would have had to have been a pretty sharp-sighted lynx at that. My silence seemed to discourage him. These one-sided conversations always flag fairly quickly. He brooded over the scene a bit longer. Jeeves would have spotted a resemblance to the blessed damsel gazing out from the gold bar of heaven, then drew his head in, and I was alone at last. Not, however, for long. A moment later, Boko hove alongside. All set? He asked in a hearty voice that seemed to boom through the garden like a costermonger calling attention to his Brussels sprouts. I grabbed him feverishly, begging him to pipe down. Not so loud! What's the matter? Edwin! Edwin? He just poked his foul head out the window and wanted to know who was there. Did you tell him? No! Excellent. Was move on your part. He's probably going to sleep again. Boy Scouts never sleep. Of course they do, in droves. Have you smashed the window yet? No! Why not? Because of Edwin! He clicked his teeth, causing me to quiver from stem to stern. To me, a little nervous at the moment, as I have shown, it sounded like a mass meeting of Spanish dancers playing the castanets. You mustn't let yourself be diverted from the task in hand by trifles, Bertie. 
I can't help wondering if you're taking this whole thing with the proper seriousness. I may be wrong, but there seems to be something frivolous in your attitude. Do pull yourself together and try to remember what this means to Nobby and me. But I can't smash windows with Edwin lurking about. Of course you can. I can't see your difficulty. Pay no attention whatever to Edwin. If he's on the alert, so much the better. It'll all help when the moment comes for me to put up my act. His story will support mine. I'll give you another ten minutes. And then I really must insist on a little action. Got a cigarette? No! Then I shall simply have to go on smoking mine. That's what it amounts to, said Boko and breezed off. Now, reading the above splash of dialogue, you will have probably noticed something. I don't know if you happen to know the meaning of the French expression sang Freud. If you do, you can scarcely have failed to observe to what an extraordinary extent the recent Fiddleworth had been exhibiting this quality. While I trembled and twittered, he remained as cool and calm as a turbot on ice. And now it occurred to me that the reason for this might possibly be that he was keeping on the move. It helps on these occasions to be able to circulate freely instead of standing on point duty outside scullery windows. And it was quite on the cards, I felt, that a short stroll might do something towards keying up my sagging nervous system. With this end in view, I wandered off round the house. Any hope I may have entertained, however, that the vibrating ganglions would cease to quiver and the fluttering feeling in the pit of my stomach simmered down was shattered before I had gone a dozen yards. A dim figure suddenly loomed up before me in the darkness, causing me to leap perhaps five feet in the air and utter a sharp yip. My composure was somewhat restored, not altogether but somewhat, when the dim F spoke and I recognized it as Jeeves's voice.